You're listening to Adam Air and the GED Underground Cartoon Therapy. Welcome back, guys. I'm going to introduce you. Stan Yan. Stan Yan. He's a cartoonist from uh, Denver. Was in a thief group called uh, Squidworks. Stan Yan. Squidworks. Hmm. Thief Comics. <laughs> nah, they didn't steal anything. Here comes the Stan Yan. I'm smoking memory loss still. And Stan Yan's a great guy, a very big contributor to the Denver Comics art scene. He's worked for Squidworks for a long time. Stan Yan, Stan Yan. Stan Yan. He's a good guy. You're going to meet him today. He's a good dude. He's going to talk to us about whatever the fuck's on his mind. Stan Yan! What's up, gang? Welcome back to the show. Welcome back to the club. Um, got a guest, special guest today, an old friend, man. Uh, Stan Yan, Mr. Stan Yan, out there in the frozen tundra of Denver. <laughs> Oh shit, there's the frozen tundra alarm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I could mute my computer here. I didn't know it was still going to make a noise. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> How's it going, man? Uh, all things considered, not too bad. Uh, you know, it's been a challenging year for everyone, but uh, mm. I figured out, uh, I somehow figured out how to make it work for myself. So, <laughs> well. That's good. <laughs> Please share with everybody. <laughs> We're all ears. <laughs> Every... well, I don't know if you've you know talked to anyone about who I am or what my background is, but uh, no, I'm, uh, I have not yet. I'm going to let okay. you do that. I'm going to let you do all so that. I, I'm a uh, a comic artist. I guess technically, right now, I'm trying to uh, rebrand and remarket myself as a graphic novelist because that's. Uh, uh, a lot more highbrow, right? <laughs> yeah. <And the> business. <laughs> <laughs> That's the coffee table. Uh, uh, George Romero put it best on the uh, trial of, of Mike Diana. Have you seen that on uh, Amazon? I haven't yet. It's uh, it's definitely on my list to to watch. But I'm I'm pretty familiar with all things Mike Diana. Um, you know, just through the years, uh, reading all sorts of articles and things that have happened with him. So, you know, I've had him on uh, seven shows now. Oh wow! Does he, so, did he did he get a free sandwich? Or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it pays to be best friends when you're like two of the most offensive, you know, artists in in the world. <laughs> it's nice, you know, to have him as a best friend, and he's he's super kind. I mean, you've heard him speak, you know, and. A, uh, but uh, George Romero, though, he, he calls uh, underground comics or graphic novel underground comics, you know, you were saying that's the highbrow way to, <laughs> yeah. the lowbrow is to call it, you know, the equivalent of, of, of heroin or like cop and dope, you know, I think that's how George <laughs> Romero put it. <laughs> it's like, well, I, I would argue that comic books were, you know, the serialized comic books were more of that because, you know. People talk to me about, you know, why I never got into, I mean, because I'm a comic creator and people automatically assume that, oh, so you're into superheroes, right? Yeah. But I, that, you know, the superhero comics just never appealed to me. I mean, I, I might have 
you know, gotten my mom a time or two to buy one off of the spinner rack at Safeway when I was, you know, five or six years old. But it was never an issue number one of any storyline. And, you know, it was only 24 pages plus a bunch of advertisements in there. And so it was never enough story to, like, get me involved in the story and want to go back and find the back issues, which I didn't know how to do anyway, because the only place I ever saw comic books were at the grocery store. And so as I got older and figured out, well, you know, I should have been following the whole series if I really wanted to know what the story was about. And and then just watching other people that are so involved in, oh, well, see, this was a crossover with this other superhero. So if you really want to know the significance of that, you have to go back and see issue number 34 of that other series to, so you can see why they crossed over and all. Like, they're just, they're like, you know, excluding all everyone else from reading this and just preying on the people that can't say no to buying more comics. I mean, it's just like, you, you buy the issue number one and that's your taste. Yeah. And then... You know, and then once you're addicted, then they just pound you, you know, I'm like, well, that's not a really good way of, of building a business. It's just a way of victimi- victimizing your current fans. And so that's why I always kind of had a distaste for superheroes, because they all seem to have that kind of story writing formula, you know? Yeah, it was a... <laughs> I, I do know what you're saying. <laughs> that's what uh, promoted you to do where go where you're at now <laughs> well i mean for me it's just like you know when i'm creating work i'm creating for an audience and at the bare minimum that audience needs to be at least me right yeah <laughs> and what i like to read is stuff that self-contains stuff that yeah i agree to, like there's some series out there that i've really liked because they're very self-contained, mm-hmm. um, and you don't have to go back and issue to find out, you know, where the book I just read started because they are standalone as is, you know. So those are the types of things that I like, and and you know, just you know, graphic novels that are meant to be, uh, you know, one issue, even if that issue is like six hundred page, you know, issue of blankets. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that. Hmm. But, uh, you know, um, but, now, you know, now that I'm a father, uh, a lot of what I've been doing and, and creating for is for kids. So, you know, we are definitely on opposite ends of the genre spectrum now. I mean, like what, what you do, you're, you're trying to be provocative and offensive. And, well, I guess I suppose I might still be. I mean, one of my goals <laughs> is still to have people boycott my books, you know. So I, I That's cool. That's cool. A publisher <laughs> publish a book of mine, and then it offends someone enough to be boycotted. That's awesome. Because you know what gets bought a lot? Boycotted books, because everyone mm-hmm. can see why it was boycotted. <laughs> well, you know, that's the thing about comics. Uh, it's kind of that similarity with uh, hip-hop. It's that femme fatale. You have to break the law in order to get the shit fucking rolling. Right. You know, that's Mike Diana's deal. I mean, what? He did four years, uh, you know, of getting harassed and yeah. Florida. Yeah, I don't necessarily we want to be at the point where, and, and, you know, in today's political environment. Well, they thought he was a serial killer. <laughs> you know, you, they're, I don't know if you, <laughs> they're not going to be like looking at you like that. Oh, <laughs> Stan, well, Stan Yan. I've, I've, 
I've had I have some material that you know kind of pokes fun at religious institutions and things like that. And, and it could get you killed. Yeah, it could. Yeah, it could, really. that shit can get you fucking brutal. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, just keep it going. You know that's what it's. But uh, you know, to be fair, I was on a children's uh, comic firm for uh. In uh, 2015, you and I weren't talking at that point. Uh-huh. But uh, it was a... Not, not necessarily by choice, just by circumstance. Right, right. I, well, I was in Los Angeles. I don't know about your side. You were, like, in dad town, and I was, like, running a toy store and working for... Uh, remember Hart Fisher from Boneyard Press? Oh, I know Boneyard Press, but, uh, yeah, I don't... I just know, I recognize the name. It doesn't matter. Um, unauthorized biography of Jeffrey Dahmer. That was oh. the big comic that got on Jerry Springer and got him famous and ended up, he, you know, worked with Danzig and I kind of got to meet Danzig guys out there and uh-huh. those kinds of comic dudes. But I had a toy shop and uh, I have no idea where the fuck I was going with this story. Oh, that you were doing kids books. Yeah, and okay, so it was like right when I opened up the toy stores at the same time, and there's a shaman lady, she's from Haiti. I, I was friends with, her name's Miss Star, and her daughter is CEO of Chase Bank. And, what? And, and so she's marrying... It's an interracial marriage. She's pregnant already. He's Jewish. She's black. She wants me to... She contacted me and wanted me to draw this really soft picture of these guys pushing this... Walking down the yellow brick road and then the Emerald City looks like a baby carriage or... You know what I'm Some shit. So I drew, and then they asked me if I would draw the logos, and I was like, nope, I'm not doing that satanic shit. And then, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> so I just drew the soft picture. Everybody loved it. Uh-huh. And then uh, that hooked me up to one of the investors in Chase that uh, has a small outfit. Uh, it's an African-American literature firm called Tay and Lane uh-huh. in uh, Berkeley. And so I, I got, I landed it on there and he's like, well, I want like a whole series. I was like, well, I only got, I only got five books and that would have been just like the graphic novel. Like you were just talking about Uh that would have been the graphic novel and it kind of is. So now it's just a series of five graphic novels that are all children's books. Uh And I, I got fucked on the firm and it was, um, Dan Fogel. You ever read, uh, Fogel's underground comic book uh, price guide. No, no. Uh-uh. Um, it's a price guide that's come out for a while that just, it's kind of the overstreet for undergrounds. Uh-huh. And uh, if you know what I mean. And um, uh-huh. so uh, he read over my contract, make a long story short. My guy at Tay and Lane wasn't going to pay me. And so Dan was like, just come do a comic book for me. And he's running Hippie Comics, uh-huh. which is R. Crumb's imprint that he left to his first wife, Dana Crumb, uh-huh. which has Spain uh, and um, 
S. Clay Wilson and R. Crumb and a couple, you know, there's some Robert Williams. And it was just nice to be on the same platform. And me and Mike Diana both got in. Oh, nice. And that was the big Apple Con uh, 2019 or whatever. Oh, wow. It was the first international book. There's only a grip of them that are out there. It's called the Condemocrats. You remember me drawing those dicks? <laughs> I was drawing them back then when you, we were hanging out. Uh-huh. Condemocrats. Remember that? I mean, I, I remember. Uh, I, I actually have one of your T-shirts. It was uh, uh, I forgot what the name of your devil creature was. Uh huh. Um, Mordor or something. Oh, Morgoat. <laughs> and he's got the 18 inch hard on you know and he's walking around i used to just draw that motherfucker blatantly like that i this cute little goat demon looks like something out of a harvey comic with a fucking 18 inch dick walking around with the hard on (laughs) he's like ride the lightning ride the morgo yeah i have the the ride the lightning shirt Nice, dude. That's hey, man. If it's Cliff Burton, dude, that's the shit, <laughs> and we all know it. So, so, uh, so yeah. Um, I guess you know maybe we can uh, talk a little bit about how we met because you're right now. Oh, sure. You're in California, right? Oh yeah. Right now, I'm in. Um, where am I? I'm in Oregon. So you're in Oregon. Okay. Because you've been, you've been in California, you've been in Oregon. I mean, how many different places have you been since you left Colorado? You know how many places I've lived since uh, the virus? Or like, oh wait, I've lived uh, in, in one year, in 2020, I lived in eight places. <laughs> I lived in eight states. <laughs> and you, uh, and you uh, stayed, stayed healthy through that whole thing? Yeah. Not, uh, not gotten the virus. And me, you know, since uh, since 1971, I've not moved from the Denver metro area. I've lived in two different places, if you don't count the, you know, half a year or, you know, three months when my wife and I got married and we're waiting for this house that I live in to get built. And I got the virus. Hmm. <laughs> so, somehow. And we were both telecommuting. We never left the house. You know, everything we're doing is on via Zoom meetings and on the internet. Yet somehow, uh, we both got the coronavirus. What? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just have never been scared of it. I refuse to get vaccinated. I refuse to get shots. I refuse to really even think about it too much. I have lost a few friends. It sucks. <laughs> um, I won't lie. Uh, I had a guest on, uh, I just finished editing on the show last night, um, but he had spoke about, uh, how he felt the virus was made by aliens and had been, um, made to take out the bad guys on the planet, specifically the bad guys who are alpha draconians. Uh. And uh, so that was interesting because I believe a lot of that stuff. I just hadn't heard the the you know that you know it was the virus was made like that. Um, I did bring it up, you know. Hey, uh, 
what what about good people getting taken out? And if you guys are interested in the show, go back and fucking listen to it. Let's, this is the Stan Yan show, okay? <laughs> yeah. So it's a Chinese bat aliens is what it really is. <laughs> it really it could be anything. You know, I I had this show uh, in the first season called Super Coronavirus Sasquatch. And uh, it was just the wood pros and cons because it was so still new at that time. Yeah. Yeah. It I, was I like April. The Sasquatch angle too because you know I love all all things cryptid. You know. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you should listen to the uh, Sasquatch uh, PT, PTSD set, uh, or uh, God damn it, Wendigo PTSD because my guy on the show here C two. He actually um, had to take out a Wendigo in real life. Wendigo? I don't even know what that is. It's a Native American cryptid uh, Navajo. Okay. I still need to learn more about cryptids. Yeah. Go back. (laughs) Go back and listen to it. It's all on there. But it's about a private security team because he's like, you know, uh, been private security before you know and this was in northern canada and uh their bunker was attacked by a wendigo and that's what that episode's about yeah unfortunately pretty much uh, the majority of what i know about cryptids is uh for my friend uh leah fisher's books the uh cryptid catchers and uh uh, she's she's got a series of these books, and it's you know for middle grade readers, you know uh, elementary school kids. <laughs> <laughs> but she she really shoehorns a lot of them in there, so uh, you get to learn a little bit about each one. <laughs> what uh... she, hasn't, she hasn't she hasn't uh, she hasn't uh, crossed that one yet. When to go? That I remember. I have a bad memory too, so hopefully that's not a, um, a side effect of the you know coronavirus brain fog oh what if it was and you used to know all about wendigos and every day you were like when to go here when to go there when do i go (laughs) anyway back to how we met yeah where'd we (laughs) this is probably as interesting as anything else because and and you know the way that our our careers have gone from there is is probably another interesting story because you know, to this that's day, true. I, I actually talk about you and, and Todd Nett still. Really? Because you're stale ink comic book. Because, you know, when, when we first met, I think it was uh, either through the Denver Comic Art Festival or one of the, um, or maybe it was, was it through John at uh, Highlander or was it through a convention or something? I thought we met through Highlander Comics. Okay. Yeah, that might have been it. You guys brought some issues in first, and then and then yeah. got involved with decaf after that happened. Mm-hmm. You guys had already been coming into the shop for a while, I thought. Yeah, well, at that time, so so we were actually a part of a group that started off as Acme Comics, and I actually got involved when I was in high school back in 1987. I took a class through Colorado Free University. Um, called uh you know i think it was called making comics or or something like that and and the description talked about making comics and selling or marketing comics or or how to get it how to break into comics and 
Um, it was taught by Tom Motley. You remember him? Oh yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. So, um, I, you know, at that time I was really mostly into comic strips and, and a little bit into editorial comics. Never really thought about doing comic books seriously, even though there were a few, I think, uh, you know, when you're a kid, you always do, do these rip-off comic books of movies you've seen. And I did one of uh, Close Encounters of the 30s. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and there was another one that where I took a few more liberties. It was, you know, Star Wars. That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> but that was it. I mean, that, that was really my only foray into comic books. And so I took this class. And I get it, and lo and behold, it isn't about comic strips at all. It's about you know doing uh, long-form comic book stories, and so that was our assignment. And he he introduced us to all these different new materials like Bristol board and oh yeah, and brushes and all the stuff. All the good shit. And and uh, even like uh, adhesive screen tones, you know, zipatone. And so I you know went to the arts all the stuff I was you know doing this comic uh, for the first I took a, a story that I did in my creative writing class and uh, anyway so so Tom invited me to these acme meetings um, and you know we would go in and everyone was comics that were going to be included in the acme anthologies so that's that's you know, the first comic book uh, story I worked on ended up in the Acme 10. Uh, a bunch of the rest of them were working on their own comic book series, like uh, Richard was working on Haphazard, and Tom Motley was working on Steel Pulse. Um, uh, 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 you know, there's Libby Ellis, uh, uh, Dennis Pimple, whatnot. So huh. they, were, they were actually running a distribution company called Fandom House, where they would uh, sell their comics to, you know, direct and to comic book stores, but they were also distributing comics by um, other independent publishers, including, you know, fan graphics. Oh, hey, Stan, I'm losing you, man. Uh-oh. Yep. Is it me? Or you? It might be. I don't know. Are you moving around or anything? Nope. My nah. Is, is sitting right here on my It's table. the frozen tundra. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to lose you. I, lo I love what you're saying. I just wanted you to, you know, keep going. No problem. But anyway, um, so the, the problem with the group, and, and so we used to meet like twice twice a week at Dennis's house, but he was getting a little tired because some of the people that were showing up were never creating anything, and they were just kind of taking advantage of the group, the, the distribution company, to order their you know, DC and Marvel superhero comics at wholesale prices, you know, because they were able to do so because they were a distribution house, you know? Yeah. And so he eventually kicked us out of his house. He quit the group. And, uh, you know, with Tom, we all reformed and started meeting at coffee houses and things like that as the Squidworks. And so with that, we decided, well, we're not, we're not really wanting to be a publisher per se. So we, we became more of like a distributor for self-published comic artists. All right, and yeah. I think when probably shortly after that is uh, when, well, and originally 
we didn't really know what to do with ourselves. But uh, by that time, I had graduated from college with, uh, you know, not an art degree, but a business degree uh, with an emphasis in accounting, of all things. And uh, um, so I'm like, you know what, I'm not even using my, my business experience here. You know, we should do something to, you know, give some focus to our group. So I ended up uh, taking over and learning how to uh, build a website for our group. And uh, so we could put all of the books that we were producing on the website. And then I would create a quarterly catalog that would get sent out to um, indie friendly comic publisher or uh, comic book stores. And that, at that time, I, I would start driving around to different comic book stores like Highlander Comics. And that's probably when I met you guys because I was probably trying to help move some of the books that uh, our members were self-publishing at that time. Oh, yeah. So, and, th and that's how you guys got involved with us. And I don't know, was the <coughs> comic that you and Todd came out with, was that your um, first publication that you guys printed? You guys saw the one with the glossy cover, is that what it was? And it had yeah. the color cover? Oh, God. I did not want to do that. You know, that was kind of Todd, man. Um, <laughs> he would just get all like, uh, I don't know what it was. He needed to have things his way. Actually, it was because of Todd that I ended up doing children's comics back in 1999. Oh, yeah? And that was, well, that was decaf. Yeah. Um, and uh, there was a story about how Todd's villainous, uh, estranged father had come into the, come to decaf, that first decaf. Uh -huh. And you remember how Todd wanted to have the underground comic book part? Uh, and I was like, nah, man, let's just, let's just give it to the fucking kids, you know, and we'll do the underground <laughs> part next year. That was what I was saying. Yeah. And then I didn't. And then, uh, the art show, right? Yeah, and then Kenny B was there. I thought it was Kenny B from uh, Westward or whatever, whatever the fuck comic it he was. Yeah, and he, he had a big problem because he's like, I don't like judging kids. Yeah, and I didn't like it either, to be honest. That wasn't my idea. That was Murph's idea. And then Todd's idea was to. Todd's idea was to fucking have the underground part. And I was like, no, nah, man, kids can just come around the corner. And he had this one drawing with the dude with the big heart on. And it was like this chick coming down with a slip and slide mat with just spread eagle, man. And and they censored it. He got upset. And I won the fucking thing. And I got the... Um, <laughs> I got the... Uh, First prize was a, a, a set of repediographs, and I, I don't fucking draw with repediographs, Dan. Right, right. So I just gave it to him, I was, and I was like, it was a way to pimp them off. I, I built up his character. I was like, hey, man, you're the one that got censored. <laughs> that was awesome, dude. I was like, I didn't get censored. My shit wasn't even cool enough to get censored, so in a way, you won. Here you go. Gave him the pens, and he was just like, really? I was like, Yeah. And then we went back, and his dad ended up there. Long story short, I didn't see Todd for a fucking week. I, uh, they were living in Broomfield, and I, I, I went out there a week later. I was like, where the fuck have you been? And he, his, he had already been brainwashed by his father. 
who was like, if you guys do a children's comic and uh, I'll pay for the distro and then whatever money I make off the fucking children's comic, you guys can have uh, to put out your little underground comics. And I was like, that doesn't even make sense. Uh, you know, but Todd was wrapped up in it, and and I there was no you, you can't break people like that. I didn't. It was such a fragile situation. So we ended up doing this comic called Astro Kids. Do you remember me doing that thing? Yeah, that was my kids comic. That was me and Todd's kids comic. Okay, and um, that was made specifically for his dad, but then was used for the two thousand. Because I thought the first uh, decaf was like 99, and then the next one was uh, decaf was uh, 2000, and uh, and then um, we had done the little mini Astro Kids decaf sample book. So that was kind of the first self-published little kids yeah. fucking racket thing we did. Yeah, I don't think I got I was involved until 2001. I was like the chairman either in 2002 or the last year of it, whatever that was, 2003, 2002, where um, Shannon Wheeler came out. Oh, yeah. That was like the sixth one or the fifth one. or Okay. Yeah, I, I had only been to two of them. And, and uh, the, the second one I went to, uh, I was part of, I was basically the neuter chairman. So I, I had to, like, I ended up having to organize the whole thing because everyone was going through some sort of crisis that had been involved the year before. So I put the whole thing together. I, you know, came up with the idea of inviting Shannon, but, you know, no access to actually paying for anything, you know? <laughs> oh, God. And he was cool. I sat on it. I sat on it. And then, and then Murph ended up inviting uh, Shannon as if it was his idea. <laughs> that's what he did with decaf pretty much you're very welcome <laughs> so but anyway and I felt like I pushed it in the right direction because I was able to like get all of the, the winning um, art show entries from the previous year and include them in the program guide for that year so that you know there was something collectible to have and that way all the sponsors could have ads in it and it would be something that people would keep so that, you know, the ads would have some staying power. You know, I was trying to create like a win-win for everyone. And I know what you're talking about because I know that that's what you do, man, you know. And yeah. that's how you got, you went at it. I remember me and Todd were so bad news bears about our mentality and like the stale link <laughs> thing, you know. Meeting guys like you and Tom and Lonnie. I remember Lonnie. And uh, at that, I mean, we all had radically different you know game plans for our careers and, and different approaches and different interests in, in how we even approach the craft you know um, I mean the only thing I had in common with Tom really even though I, I still do consider him my mentor was that you know he was teaching summer camps and uh, he decided that he couldn't get his career to go anywhere living here in Denver he needed to move to New York New York but he didn't want to leave all these summer camp programs in a lurch. So he trained me to take over his summer camp camp programs. Um, and uh, so, you know, I, I, you know, basically took his game plan, implemented it, 
uh, taught summer camps for a year, kind of reevaluated it, shuffled things around. And, you know, I, I taught summer camps for, you know, 10 years, um, you know, and, and grew that part of my business for quite some time until uh, I decided to go on a teaching hiatus. <laughs> hmm. Yep. I even did a little a uh, couple classes cartoon do you remember me doing a couple of those cartoon classes over at Mickey's Heart uh, Wellness oh, yeah. 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 I didn't know if you were if we were hanging out yet or not but I did like like three or four of them and then I thought it was like a year later dude and uh, this woman came in and she had her two kids and I've been seeing them these kids come in for a while and um she was just like, do you remember these guys? And I was like, oh, yeah, the cartoon class. And he's like, hey, what's up, dude? You know, and they went and looked at comics, and the mom was all, you know he got hired by Nickelodeon, right? Oh, jeez. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and she goes, oh, yeah, Fairly Odd Parents picked him up. Oh, wow. And I was like, motherfucker, I want to fucking <laughs> showing back up you know and, and showing me these things because a lot of them that i taught were really little and you know most of them like are graduating from high school now and starting to do things i mean yeah one of them was um a student that insisted on taking my class every year and then i actually ended up doing an after school program at her school um and, and she took it with me and you know she was uh um really gifted in a lot of different ways. Like um, at the end of my, the first time I taught her, she got, I, I kind of had like a, you know, all these different game stations set up around the table or around the classroom. So the kids could go to each station and try these different comic games that I created. Um, That's cool. And, and she wanted to go up and write on, write on the whiteboard because um, one of the things that we did as a group was like a, kind of a competitive game where they split into teams and it was kind of like a Pictionary type of thing, you know? And I would make up a list of all these things uh, and then I would, I would like show each, you know, uh, contestant something, but they can't say anything. They just have to draw it and then their teams have all to right. yell out guesses at what they're drawing or whatever. So it was like a really noisy thing. So she, she wanted to get up on the whiteboard and just draw, and, you know, free draw. I'm like, okay, sure. And she starts like stroke for stroke, erasure for erasure, going through my entire lecture from Monday through <laughs> Wednesday and repeating everything that I drew. Um, she remembered it all. She had a she had a uh, uh, a photographic memory, hmm. and uh, and and now she's you know before she even graduated from high school, she started. Um, illustrating uh, comic books for uh, businesses and other people, family members, and she just graduated recently, and uh, she's got her own um, comics about uh, um, kids in outer space, maybe the next Astro Kids. Ooh, <laughs> that is cool, man. Yep, yeah. yeah, uh, on the development with the Astro Kids, um, I remember being confronted with this thing and I remember Todd, Todd Nett was like, my dad wants us to do Christian kid comics. I was like, fuck no. 
and then I was like, dude, I will not, no. And, uh, and, then he, and then finally when I broke down and I saw that his wife fucking just needed me to break down and fucking say yes, because it was never going to end. And I was like, yep, Marcy, you remember her? And, uh, and she was just like, dude, she was giving me that fucking eye, like, dude, you need to fucking... <laughs> you know? And I just had no choice. I had to do this fuck. That's how I got suckered into the kids racket. And, uh, and I did it. And uh, you remember that fucking dick Jack Gray who used to do the spot shit on fucking Wizard Comics? And no. He was Murph's best friend. He was this jolly fucking poser dick that did drawings <laughs> for fucking Wizard. And I was like, big deal. Um, like he would draw this stupid cartoon version of Rorschach and it was just like, it looked like something out of a fucking Tijuana Bible or, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like whatever. Uh, but you know, we, he was supposed to color the motherfucker. He didn't come through on the thing. And then his dad didn't come through on the thing. And when his dad didn't come through on the fucking thing, that was when he broke. And I didn't see Todd for a couple weeks, and then we got into it. And I was like, "Is that how you're gonna be? A, you're gonna be a pussy about it, you know, and fucking walk off and be a dick?" And uh, and he uh, he woke up, and uh, so we got that first issue out, and that's when we met up with you and Tom, and that would have been the timeline. Uh-huh. And we made all, he got over sense that he's like, well, I'm, if I'm going in, I'm going in full girdle, you know? So he just fucking threw down 5,000 books. I was like, no, man, you know, cause you know, <laughs> if you get a thousand books, you're good. Like you're good, dude. You know, <laughs> like even then, and you know, uh, but the best days were scam and Kinko days, you know, those were the days of, <laughs> you know, like when you could fake the counter and, you know, get the ultimate, you know, nook of fucking booty of free comics. You know, you're like, yes. And it's just the best feeling in the world, you know. But, you know, that was our, we we had a really rough punk rock kind of look at everything. Uh-huh. And the way that we were doing our comics. And so by the time we did meet up with you, you know we were really still in ego land and very apprehensive. And I look back at it now and be like, it's so I was so young, you know, like yeah. in a lot of ways. It's, it's, you know, I mean, I think that story just kind of stuck in my mind, you know, that you guys would print 5,000 copies this year, you know, your first book, because, you know, I was all just about survival. Yeah. I'm like, you know, this is, this is my passion. This is what I'm going to be doing no matter what. So I can't afford to bankrupt my family uh, with my first Fuck book. no, dude. <laughs> That's and not the right I, move. <laughs> you know, my, my approach to my career is that I'm lucky enough. And, and at that time, it really wasn't my career. I would argue right now it's still not my career because, you know, I think like this last year, you know, the majority of the income I've made is, is not off of my books. Um, you know, I'm lucky to make a few thousand dollars off of my books every year right now, but uh, off of teaching and doing uh, freelance uh, illustrations, you know. That's awesome. And, uh, and so, um, 
you know, what, but, but, but my passion and my muse is my stories. And uh, so, you know, I don't want that end up to end up being the thing that drags the rest of my career down because, you know, I, I feel like, you know, once you do that, then it affects you emotionally, first of all. Yeah. Where, like, I, I know a lot of people, oh, I don't like doing art anymore. I'm like, what, what did you do to cause yourself to not love your passion anymore? And, and I think financial aspects could, you know, easily become a part of that. And, you know, a lot of people that I know that went to art school, like, hate art now. And I think a lot of it is because of money or debt that they ring up mm -hmm. to do something as a career when, you know, if something's a passion, you don't have to do it as a career. You just have to leave yourself time to do it. Now, there is no school for the natural, you know. It just is. It's on. It's either on, you know. Uh, oh, the, sure. the, the University of Colorado. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> They love you, <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> and they do. They want that money, right? I, I haven't, I haven't uh, given them a cent since. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. <laughs> like to be honest with you, you didn't help me that much. I mean, you got me a job out of school that another one of my coworkers. I got the same job that, never, that just graduated from high school and never went to college. But then, you know, everything that I learned in business, I really learned from that job. Because I, I, you know, I was a stockbroker for 13 years, um, during which time, you know, I finished my first three comic books. I finished my first graphic novel, which you know, I started taking to, uh, like my second comic book convention that, I traveled to was San Diego Comic-Con in 2001 and I'd been doing that one every every year since um, even this year they, they had a virtual version of the comic you know Comic-Con and so I did did it virtually and you know it, it wasn't great but it didn't cost me anything because uh, you know they credited you know what I paid for my table towards this year, which they might have to do that again at the rate things are going. Oh yeah. And uh, but but you know I had a virtual table, and uh, so you know I had people commissioning zombie characters for me. Um, you know, yeah, a few hundred dollars worth, but it was a few hundred dollars that uh, I wouldn't have had if they didn't do this. You know, <laughs> so. But, uh, but yeah, so that that's what I was doing and. You know, at the same time as I was doing that and learning about, you know, how things were worked in the comic book side of things, you know, I was learning how to read contracts and uh, deal with clients and basically, you know, sell them on products I had no personal connection with that I had no, you know, idea whether their chief financial officers were relying on their books and, you know, they're shipping bricks around and their stocks were going to go to zero or not. You know? mm. <laughs> so, um, you know, when I get laid off from that business and, you know, with blessing my wife deciding whether or not uh, I'm going to do this full time for a living, you know, felt like I was able to kind of hit the ground running and, and uh, things were a lot easier just because, um, you know, even though in both businesses I had an erratic stream of income because that was 
at times a hundred percent commission business, you know, in the first six months I was in the business, I only made like a total of a thousand dollars. Oh my God. <laughs> would have made most people quit. I mean, most of the cohort of people that started with me quit like within a few weeks and I was just too stupid to know when to quit, you know, and I had no connection. So that was another problem. You know, most of the people that make it in the business um, are, are, you know, come from wealthy families that have connections and things. So, but, uh, but, uh, you know, it just made it that much easier because I know what I can promise about my own skill set and what I can do or what I can say, yeah, I can do it and learn. Yeah, know? that's true. And so, and then, you know, on top of that, you know, I come into competing for jobs where, I make my own contracts, uh, you know, just by like looking at um, boilerplate artist contracts, uh, downloading them or, or you know, copying them word for word out of books from Barnes and Nobles, which is what I did originally, and then just modifying them specifically for my own circumstances, things like that. And then, and, you know, there were a couple of jobs where it was just down to a couple of artists and they told me, you know, we boiled it down to you and another artist and I'm like, hey, okay, well, let me, you know, send you what my contract looks like and, you know, let me know what looks good or, you know, if you have a counter contract. And of course, the other artist doesn't have the same thing, but it looked like I had done this before. So, you know, it gives them the confidence that, uh, you know, I will follow through. I'll be professional about it. I'll meet the deadlines and everything like that. And, uh, you know, even though, you know, more times than not, it was the first time I'd ever done that work before. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, more times than not, I won those contracts. And, you know, I don't know how many times you've been screwed out of getting paid as an artist. But, you know, <laughs> today, I have not gotten stiffed yet. Um, really? That's why. That is why, because I always start with the contract and I always start with uh, a retainer, an installment payment that shows me that the client, number one, has money to pay me with, and number two, is serious about actually paying me. You know what I'm going to say next, right? What? I start with the contract. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a dumbass, okay? Don't worry about it. But you know what, guys? Out, well, that's what this show's kind of about, though, is to inform people. And it's good that you are, dude, because you know what? I didn't have this show to listen to. That If I would have, shit, man, I would have been like, contracts first, motherfucker. Right. Stan Yan said so. No. <laughs> <laughs> because it, it just, like, you know, because a lot of people that are, are trying to look for cheap, inexperienced artists, uh -huh. they've never dealt with, they've never dealt with uh, you know, artists before. And so... You know, the last thing you want to do is get taken advantage of because they feel like they, you know, okay, I've got all the power because I'm the one that's paying them and they'll play by my terms. Uh, but, you know, if you come to them and kind of take over that relationship, then not only are you, uh, you know, are you the boss of the, the relationship, but also, you know, if you're competing with other artists for the work, then, you know, if, if the other artists aren't coming to them with an, a, pro, a professional arrangement like that, you know, they're probably going to have a little bit more confidence uh, that you're going to get the job done. And plus the contract automatically spells everything out so that there's, you know, they know what their expectations of you are and, 
and you know that you know you're not going to end up having to do 40 revisions of something without getting paid so you know you have built in okay you get three revisions and then once you've approved the uh study sketches then you know uh there's there's no revisions after that because you approved the study sketches yeah <laughs> well it's it's surprising how difficult it is for artists like me we can hear you say that shit but not everybody not every artist can do that shit you know what i mean I think that was the problem back then with me. I was like nowhere near that kind of mindset. And you know, I did have a contract with Tay and Lane too, and I didn't have, I just trusted that it was okay. And I didn't write it, you know? Yeah, I mean, you, you gotta read it because like, and especially in the comic book industry, you know, I mean, we, artists are, are renowned for historically getting screwed over on their contracts where, Oh yeah, oh, no, we the publisher own your creation, or you know we own your original artwork. You know I know that even even the uh, uh, the folks at Kitchen Ink Press and you know R. Crumb got into legal wranglings over um, Robert Crumb's original artwork. You know. Oh yeah. So um, so I mean, and you know the the one uh, probably the book that I have greatest circulation you know if you if you collect all of the different editions together was a book that i uh, wrote um uh, for uh, vincent price presents and then a later in a later edition i wrote and uh re-illustrated it um for blue water productions they sent me a really thin contract it was really short and because a lot of their business was licensing um uh properties from other people including you know the likeness of vincent price you know they they don't want anyone to take ownership uh, you know the creators you know the contract says that you as the artist do not own the likeness or the characters or whatever because you know more times than not you're you're writing a story that includes a licensed character or a licensed um uh, likeness or persona uh, but I'm like well wait a minute you know my, my story is like a Twilight Zone episode <laughs> that is just going to run under the Vincent Price Presents imprint it's, it's like a horror story and I was the main character you know and uh, <laughs> you Blue Water Productions can't own my, me as a character Stan Yan or my likeness or any of my friends that agreed to be drawn into this comic because, you know, I'd drawn a bunch of friends into it. Plus, I ended up uh, writing, or when I, when I did the Kickstarter to fund the one that I drew, a lot of the reward levels were to get drawn into the comic book. And, and the, you know, the top reward level was you get to be the villain, the guy that kills me in the story, you know? Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> and... So I didn't want them to own any of their likenesses or names or anything like that either. Yeah. <laughs> so I rewrote the contract and they were fine with that. So, but those are the things that you just can't assume are going to be okay because you never know what you're going to end up, you know, I, I would have literally been signing away my life, life, you know, as a character. <laughs> yeah, no shit. That's true. 
Yeah. Wow. You've had to. You've had a journey, man. You have worked. You've produced the work to get where and the results to get to where you are right now. You know. Well, I like to think so, but you know, it, it seems like I'm always starting over. You know. That's a and that's that's a good thing, though, man. I know that hurts guys like you and me. <laughs> but uh, little, I mean, it does. I know it, but it's a good thing in the end, you know, man. It, I mean, I, I can blame. I'll blame my son for it. <laughs> <laughs> or for stuff. But I, I don't. I don't really consider it blame. He gets credit for it because you know when you got kids, you know all of a sudden you know you all your paradigms shift and your priorities and you know inevitably your inspirations and that's why I started doing children's book and and but but I I still had in mind that um, you know I did I didn't want to because. Because as it was, like when, when I first started uh, freelancing full time and, and I was no longer in the brokerage industry, um, I really had to sit down and figure out how to make money at these comic book conventions. Because up until then, you know, I was just going to comic book conventions and happy to sell books and to grow my readership. And, uh, you know, it wasn't more times than not, it really wasn't even covering my costs for the table and travel costs and hotels and everything like that. And I had to figure out how to do that. And so that's when I started doing zombie characters. But unfortunately at that time, most of my books were um, kind of slice of life, you know, what I'd call sick and twisted slice of life books. Yeah. And um, you know, because my inspirations were, you know, Robert Crumb, you know, uh, Bob Ingerman, you know, all, all those guys. Yeah. Uh, Alex Robinson, and so that's that's the kind of stuff that I wanted to write. But you know, my stuff had to do with the character that was in the brokerage industry, you know. Yeah. And uh, but anyway, um, and and that had no crossover with the zombie people. <laughs> so uh, I I found that I started making more money doing the zombie stuff. And uh, I remember your zombie phase too. I remember I was that selling, you know, no books anymore you know i would bring a bunch and i would just haul them all back with me because i wasn't able to to sell enough of them but i was making more money and so yeah i, I had to kind of figure out um and that, that's why i did that Vincent Price book, which is a story about me doing zombie characters with people at a comic book convention and all of a sudden you know uh, they all start dying so everyone that i'm drawing is dying that's <laughs> awesome and, and at first, you know, the first half of the book is me being convinced that there's some sort of connection. And then the last half of the book is me wigging out because I'd drawn myself as a zombie for my business card. And uh, so I was just looking at all these things that could possibly be killing me, you know. And, uh, and so, and, and instead of actually selling that book, I decided to, uh, like, actually after I drew zombies of people, they would actually just get a free copy of my book. And that way, you know, all those these zombie people that were coming to me year after year to get zombified at these comic book conventions weren't buying books for me. I'm like, well, why is that? Because year after year, it seemed that a fewer and fewer people were actually interested in comic books at comic book conventions. And I'm like, well, maybe I can do something about that because, you know, all I'm here is a guy that helps them commemorate their... Uh, you know, Comic-Con adventures for the year. And uh, so if I can give them a free comic book, maybe 
if they're not a comic book fan, they'll start reading comics. And then on top of that, maybe they'll end up being a fan of mine. And, and it has something to do with what I just drew for them, you know? And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to draw my own version of it. Because Dan Crozier drew the, the first edition of that book. But I'm like, ah, I kind of feel weird giving people a copy of a book I didn't draw after I drew them. Because then the, the whole meta thing didn't work as well. Right. So I was like, okay, let's, let's do this Kickstarter. I did that. And then, you know, when, when uh, one day my son wouldn't come down to my basement studio and he was like uh, maybe three and a half years old, three and three quarters years old. And uh, his, you know, uh, my wife's like, well, what's wrong? He's like, I'm scared. She said, what are you scared of? And he started pointing at all the zombie character artwork hanging from the walls. And of course, Erica had been trying to get me to like swap out my decor down here ever since he was born. I'm like, yeah, man. You know, if he's exposed to it, he won't be scared to it. And, you know, she, she gave me that I told you so look. You know? uh-huh. But instead of consoling him, I, I wrote There's a Zombie in the Basement, which is my first uh, picture book. And, uh, and then I joined the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators to learn a little bit about the industry, uh, which was kind of life-changing. Um, because even though I wasn't able to get that book published and ended up uh, kickstarting it, getting it self-published, um, it, it really kind of opened my eyes to how to get my books sold through uh, bookstores and through Amazon. And, and uh, anyway, uh, you know, um. long story short, I'm like in my third edition of this book the third printing of this book and I've been doing school visits and uh, I mean, even, even during the pandemic, you know, I'd been visiting schools via zoom. <laughs> so, hey, so. Stan, I hate to cut you. Um, we're down to the 57th minute. I wanted to oh, ask before we yeah. wrap it up. Um, how did you get into the children's uh, illustration society that you just dropped a few minutes ago or whatever? Oh, I just, paid uh, my $85 for the first year. Um, they basically uh, give you this thing called the book, which is uh, how to, um, you know, write a query letter, uh, put a portfolio together, write a children's book, and, you know, lists of publishers, their contact information, lists of agents, their contact information. And all year round, there's all, all different types of events once you remember that you can do for free or discounted rates that give you information about the creative process or about uh, how to get an agent, which a lot of times is how the only way that you can submit things to trade publishers like, you know, Scholastic and uh, Penguin and, you know, all these books that you see on the New York Times bestseller lists. Um, and, and uh, you know, what, what uh, editors are looking for and things like that. So, I've been a member of that group since 2014, and it's, it's really changed my life. And it's one area of the book industry, um, and the area of graphic novels is the kids' book industry that has continued to grow every single year, no matter what's going on. I mean, because there's been a lot of turmoil in the publishing industry. A lot of, you know, bookstores like Borders have been closing down. Barnes & Nobles has been having problems. You know, people going back and forth, uh, back and forth between ebooks and you know uh, paper books. So that's that's one thing that seems to have been constant. And fortunately for me, 
you know, it's in an area that I'm interested in writing for because what you and I do is way too time consuming to not be working on what you're passionate about because at the very least what you're working on has got to be for you. Fucking hey, man. I thank you, Stan. Yeah, thanks for joining us tonight. Guys out there, hey, y'all, do your thing. I keep telling you, you know, just just do it. There's like, uh, you're in the middle. There's If it's not a pandemic, there's not a pandemic. You know, there uh, there's one thing after another that's going to fucking just cock block you from trying to get through with everything you want to do. And Stan Yan, you're you're an awesome example of someone who ha- uh, endeavors to persevere. And you're welcome back to the show anytime you want, man. Well, thanks so much. And I'll I'll uh, message you some links to attach to the uh, the program as well, since uh, we're running out of time. Yeah, we're down to like bare seconds. Oh my god, guys, tune in next week. I'm gonna close this motherfucker out. Stan, hold on the line, all right, buddy. Alright, that was awesome. Thanks, Dan, for being here tonight. You know, that's why they call you Stan Yan! Oh, Stan Yan! 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 Hope you guys learned some shit tonight. Stan Yan, Stan Yan, teaching you about contracts again. Stan Yan. See you guys later. <laughs> You're listening to Adamair MD GED Underground Cartoon Therapy. Aww.